0: I know because I was there. Um, I think a Welsh comedian, Max Boyce, popularised that with a song and an act around it. I think it was something to do with Welsh rugby, it uh, uh, might have been. I, I have a sporting, I was there um, moment. It impresses cricket fans, so that's two of you, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but in the so-called ball of the century, Shane Warren, Old Trafford, 1993, I was there. You might, you might have your uh, I was there moment. You might have I was somewhere special. I was, I was there. But whatever our I was there moment, John can trump it. The Apostle John trumps it. In all of life, He who was the creator, he who had no beginning, he who is infinite and eternal, he who has brought into being everything that we know, he came among us as one of us. In all the life, in all the worldwide story, the universal drama that we've all got a small part in, he walked onto the stage with us and I was there. We heard, verse 1 of our reading, we saw, First 1 John 1.1, 1, 1. we touched. Saw with, with your own eyes, John? Yes, and not just a glimpse, but we gazed. And John says that he is willing to tell us this, he's sharing this, so that we may enjoy the benefits of this new life. The life appeared, verse two. I know, cause I was there. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and has appeared to us. This eternal life is not just something that's stretching on forever, but it's what he means is the life of God that has entered our age, that has walked onto our stage, that takes part in our story, our life, life. As it was meant to be, life in its fullness, the vibrant reality, that life which death could not overcome, that came to us, that came among us. And that life is here, says John, and available for any who want to have some. Moreover, this word of life was with us, and we were his friends. We had fellowship with him. And the best bit, he says, we're still friends. The new age, the eternal life, the new life that he brought into being has not been taken away. The reality of life with God, life in in fellowship with God is here. The future has burst into the present and the present has been transformed forever. And we who were not there can still have this fellowship with the Lord. Now, when he uses the word fellowship, we mustn't hear the kind of um, meaning that we sometimes give to that word. You know, we'll have a time of informal fellowship after the service, by which we mean um, we're going to have a cuppa and we're going to talk maybe about the service, maybe about uh, the weather, maybe about the elections, maybe about whatever. But When John's using this word fellowship, he's meaning much more. The the same word in the Greek was used for being like in a business partnership. That's a much greater commitment. That's a much greater involvement with, with one another. But John means even more than that. By fellowship, he means sharing the life. He's saying earth has been touched by heaven. Eternity has come into time. Light has come into our darkness. And we are included in this new life, this eternal life, this part of the future coming into the present, this quality of life, God's life in the here and now. And that is why John has written this letter. We write this, verse 4, to make our joy complete, the joy that comes through sharing that this fellowship is available for all. You cannot see, I cannot see. The people John was writing his letter to, they cannot say, I know because I was there. But that doesn't mean they can't enjoy the fruits and the benefits. For when Christ walked onto that stage of human life, when he played out his his life on that part of um, Israel all these years ago. He wasn't doing something for the there and then, something that was just going to change things for those around him. He was doing something that was going to make eternal difference. Fellowship with the living God, being on speaking terms with the infinite and the eternal, being on speaking terms with the one who's perfectly pure, speaking, being on speaking terms with the one who made life, who's the source of life. The one who's the giver of each and every good gift that we have. And yet, what we live among is not all sweetness and light, is it? John knows that, and so he goes on to talk about light and darkness, verses 5 and following. He speaks about the life, and now he speaks about the light. I put it the other way around in the sermon title just because it's a, a reference to uh, Christmas carol. The best of them, I think. You can tell me afterwards if you know which one that is. Light has come in to the darkness in which we find ourselves. Now, light is being used here not as a symbol of revealing or of making something known, but as a symbol of purity, symbol of purity of behavior. Light is where there is nothing hidden, no ulterior motives, where it's complete integrity, nothing to be ashamed of. And he says, verse 7, that we are to walk in that light, to live with the purity, integrity, and beauty that God himself has. So, a Christian is not at liberty to say... Ach, it doesn't really matter. There's a whole lot of darkness out there. I might as well join in. God forgives anyway. Verse 6 We cannot walk in the darkness if we're in Christ. Light and darkness are opposites, they cannot coexist. To follow Jesus and say that sin does not matter and sinning doesn't matter is a bit like saying, I'm going to go down a mine so that I can develop a suntan. It's a nonsense. Nor can we say, if we claim verse 6, we have fellowship him and stay in the darkness, you're not on, says John. If we claim verse 8 that we are without sin, that we've graduated to this great level of moral purity, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. <laughs> It was an interview I think before um, he was elected that I remember Trump saying, talking about his religious life, um, how he he didn't confess because he had nothing to confess. (laughs) Well exactly, (laughs) ridiculous, what sort of arrogance says that? If we claim to be without sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves. Well, you might deceive yourself, Donald, but we're not kidded. All of us. We can't point to these failures in Trump because he's any different from us. In fact, it's because he's the same as us. That's a sobering thought. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, says Paul in Romans 3. And it's a crazy level of self-deception that we no longer need to confess. We no longer sin. And God is not deceived. Now, the third if we claim, there's one in verse 6. We can't say sin doesn't matter and walk in the darkness because it's a life-transforming thing we're talking about. We can't say, verse 8, that we um, are without sin nor can we, verse 10, claim that we've not sinned. We, we can't just go covering it up and saying, he me? Pointless, futile. A number of years ago, Karen and I were visiting friends and um, we were having a game of cricket in the back garden. And one of the girls, I think maybe aged about four at the time, yeah, probably aged about four at the time, um, one of the girls in the family decided she needed a toilet, so she went into the house And the game continued, and then after a while, the mother, with the kind of antennae that that comes with parenthood, she thinks, she's been away a long time. That's funny, I better go and see. Well, it transpired that said young lady had indeed gone to the toilet, but on her way back, passing through the kitchen, she saw this lovely big bowl of strawberries, (laughs) which were for the dessert for the evening meal, for all of us seven of us. She ate them all. (laughs) Ate them all. Realized that she'd done something wrong. How do I get out of this one? I know, she thought to herself, I'll hide the bowl. (laughs) And so she hid the bowl thinking, oh, nobody's going to notice now. Or again, another time when we were uh, living in Rochese, there was a a teenage boy, and and sometimes we were getting on great, he was around us a lot, occasionally other issues kind of came up when you were trying to sort things out, and at one point he wasn't uh, in good form with us, and he was walking up the street one day with some friends, and realized that Karen was walking down the street coming from the opposite direction. As I say, we were going through a sticky patch. He didn't want to, he didn't want to see either of us. Um, so he was with his mates. He couldn't really get out of this. And so he turned around and started walking up the hill backwards. <laughs> thinking that Karen's not going to notice. Now we, we laugh at both of these now. But they just, they're instances of just that futility of saying... I didn't do that, or I'm not here, or it wasn't me, or anything else. And, and the serious bit is that if we, we try similar with God, we might laugh at that teenage boy trying to cover something up, hide his presence from Carol. We might laugh at the four-year-old girl hiding the bowl in the cupboard, but sometimes we just kind of do the same with God. We think the sin doesn't matter. We think it's not really there. We can, we can cover it up. Nobody saw me do that. Nobody heard me. We're in the same boat isn't it, as these two, and although it has its funny side there, it's 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 not altogether funny. Trying to produce excuses for sin, trying to find a justification and deflect the blame, brazen it out. <clears throat> it's not just that it's wrong, but actually it makes things worse. Because it cuts us off from the God who is rich in mercy. God in his mercy and in his grace has provided a solution for us. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that we need forgiveness. And that is exactly why the life and light of God has come into the world. Let me illustrate it this way. and I'm indebted to Tom Wright for something similar. Suppose Bill has moved into a new flat and... Um, <coughs> His parents are fair chuffed that he's getting on in life, fair chuffed at his progress and his achievement and so they they give him a family heirloom for the flat. There's this very valuable painting that has been in the flat for, in the family for generations and they give it to Bill to have in his flat and he's chuffed and he hangs it up um, in the living room and gives it pride of place. Well his parents are about to pay the first ever visit to this new flat. Um, But the night before, Bill has uh, invited a whole bunch of pals round, Um, things got a wee bit out of hand, lots of drink and lots of food was getting thrown about the place, and after they'd gone and Bill was clearing up, he noticed that the painting was stained. What should he do? Should should he try and contact his mum and dad and say, don't come? Should he say, I've fallen down and broke my leg and I've gone to hospital? And then break his leg. (laughs) What should he do? How's he going to get out of that? But then, suppose his parents just happened to have bought some wonderful new product that could restore the painting and return it to its previous state. Now, think then about the sequence of Bill's emotions through all of that. There's fear and anger and shame when he saw the damage. There was dread and and embarrassment and sorrow at the prospect of facing his parents. And then there was joy and delight at the restoration. Too good to be true. Well yes it is, where (laughs) where paintings are concerned. But John this is what John said, it's not too good to be true where forgiveness for sin is concerned. And I know, says John, because I was there. We saw and heard and touched this God come into this world that we might be forgiven. And that's good news. Because it means that these if we claim we have no fellowship, verse 6, if we uh, claim that we are without sin, verse 8, if we claim that we have not sinned, well, in fact, what that does is cut us off from the grace and mercy, but just as the, the healing for Bill in, in that story would be to let his parents come and say, look, we've got the solution, so the, the, the way for us is to let our Father, to let Jesus, to let the Holy Spirit into our lives and say, here's the solution. The gospel is not that that stuff did not happen. The gospel is not that we shouldn't feel any dread or fear and embarrassment about who we are and what we've done. We should. So light and life to all he brings. The light and life of God are not just ideas or theories or wishful thinkings. In Jesus they came to us. In Jesus they came among us. He was real and what he did and what he accomplished was real. John knows he was there. And we live with these two realities that God who is light and life calls us to that righteousness and that fullness of life that is his, but we live that out in the darkness of daily life, realizing and recognizing that the darkness is not just other people, not just the putins of the world, but, but us as well. For we have fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel is that these two things are very real, but God brings them together. God has provided a solution. And if we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. So, what does John mean with confession? Confession. Well, firstly, confession means prompt confession. It's not a confession, it's not a proper apology if we think that we can wait until we are ready to apologize. Confession is not done on our terms when the mood takes us or when it seems opportune for us. Nor is confession done when we are pushed into a corner and have no alternative but to confess we don't need to wait for Sue Gray or anyone else to report. Confession is an instant sorry. As soon as we realize that we have done something that's wrong, we should be confessing that, confessing that to the other person, if that's right and appropriate, and confessing it to God. So that raises a question about whether confession is a regular part of our prayer lives. So often we think of prayer as asking for stuff, getting things sorted out. Think back how you've prayed this week. Was there confession in there? If there wasn't, why not? You think you didn't sin? Oh well, join Donald in that land of cuckoo land or whatever. You think it didn't matter? Prefer darkness to light. Confession should be a part and parcel of how we walk in the light, how we go on with God. So prompt confession, but also, secondly, it should be a confession without reservation. Confession is when we say the same thing about our offense as God himself says about it. Too often we try to play down what we've done. We appeal to extenuating circumstances. Well, okay, I did that, but... A big boy made me, or whatever. That's not confession. Nor is that, I'm sorry if I offended you. Really, confession. I didn't know it was a party. The the bit that I struggle with that is it took him 25, he says he was there for 25 minutes, Boris. Boris, how did it take you 25 minutes to work out that it wasn't a party? Just because nobody was snorting drugs, Boris, (laughs) means it wasn't up. Come on. Confession is not playing down, minimizing our responsibility for it. So confession should be prompt. It should be without reservation. And also thirdly and lastly, it should be without hanging on to or holding on to sin. Hence, sometimes the apology is not so much, I'm sorry I did this, but I'm sorry I get caught doing this. And we know full well that given the same set of circumstances, the same would be done if we could remain undiscovered. Now, a proper confession involves saying, I sincerely hope that I would not do the same thing again in the same circumstances. And so when we say sorry to God for the things that we were done, we're really saying, Lord, if, if that happened again, if, if exactly the same thing came, I would not do that, not because I hope I don't get caught next time, but because I should not do that. I don't want to be the person who's in darkness rather than light. I don't want to be the person who's pushing away fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want to know your love. I want to, know, I want to love you more and have you love me more. And that involves confession. And the worth of that kind of confession, where it's prompt and where there's no reservations and when we are not holding on to sin, the worth of that kind of confession is that that is the way that we enjoy the light, even when we are living in this dark world. It is how we get the taste of that eternal life now. It is how we get the taste of heaven now. It is how we negotiate our way between the two realities of God's eternal kingdom and the darkness of the here and now, life in a hurting, sore and sinful world. It is how we show that Jesus is the Savior. For if we do not confess, we say that we do not need to be forgiven, we do not need a Savior. It is how we better learn to live with one another. Because how often the troubles come for the unconfessed things or the half hearted confessions or the extenuating circumstances we've appealed to? It's the way we show not just humility but integrity to live in the light where there is no hiddenness. John knew about that, he was there. But he says, you can know that too. We write to make, the, make our joy complete. We, our fellowship is with the Father. And you. we write, verse 3, so that you also may have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. The gospel is not just a God out there to believe in, but a God here to walk with day by day. The eternal God, the infinite God the perfect and pure God in your daily life, in my daily life. Because He's provided a way to make that possible. He's provided a Savior. We just have to get real and admit that that's the case and live in that light with the Savior. Let us pray.